The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, 15 through 16, He said unto them, this is Jesus talking, He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I could preach for about five hours on the word creature, okay? There's really only three types of human creatures. There was Adam and Eve before they sinned. Then there are creatures, there are humans that are born in sin. And then you've got reborn creatures. So there's only three types of creatures that have ever been. There's two that are here now. There's the unsaved and the saved. He goes on and he says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Everybody say saved. Say, I want to be saved. I remember old timers, man, when I was growing up, man, saved was hard to do. <laughs> I mean, you had to, you had to, you had, you, it, was, it was just a lot harder than it is now in our understanding of the Scripture. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not, now listen to this, shall be damned. If you don't believe on Jesus Christ, you will not go to heaven. I understand that's not popular today. But I'm just going to stick with the Bible because I figure men's ideas don't work real good. So he says you need, to be, you need to believe and you need to be baptized. Next week we're going to have a baptism service. I'm going to teach for two weeks a series I'm calling Buried and Raised. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you, take a card before you leave in the, in the seat back in front of you, fill it out completely. There's a box you can check that says, I want to be baptized. Give it to an usher before you leave because we're going to contact you next week. We're going to have a lot of people baptized. It's going to be a lot of fun. But this is one of the areas in life where we can do exactly, everybody say exactly, exactly what Jesus said. He said, if you want to be saved, believe and be baptized. Amen? Push your neighbor, tell them you look good in church, and you can be seated. Come on, even if you got to lie to them, just tell them. You look good in church. So we, we have to believe, and Jesus said to get baptized if you want to be saved. Another way that we can do exactly what Jesus said is when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And the Lord said, pray this way. Now, you can pray the Lord's Prayer exactly in any translation, and you're not exactly saying what in the terminology that they said it, but you're praying in the manner that Jesus said to pray. Another thing you can do is you can receive Holy Communion. At least once a month at New Heights Church, we receive Holy Communion. It's another area that you can do exactly what Jesus said. Now, it might not be exactly how they did it, but it's exactly what He said do. Do this in remembrance of me. Baptism is so important because, uh, uh, and Jesus specifically mentioned it, because of how much power is wrapped up in baptism. When you're baptized, see, when you say yes to Jesus, something happens to you on the inside, and nobody can even know it if you don't want them to. But if you decide to be baptized, everybody who has two eyeballs can see that you're being baptized. It's an outward expression of something that's happening on the inside of you. It's one of the few areas in our life where we can do exactly what Jesus said to do. He said, if you want to be saved, you need to believe. Everybody say believe. And be baptized. It's a powerful thing to be baptized in water. And the, the, the devil doesn't want you to be baptized in water. The devil doesn't want you to be baptized because I'm going to go through about six different things that happen when you're baptized. Six supernatural things that happen when you go into that water and you come out of that water. 
It's a powerful thing to be obedient to the voice of God. And again, if we had to, uh, 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 the, the, let me just say this, the Bible is infallible, okay? That means the Bible is written by the Holy Spirit through men, and, and, and the Scripture is not to be questioned. The, the Scripture says to reason with God, uh, but, but, but literally reasoning with God means just reason that He's right and move on, Okay? But the Bible, is, it's, it's what we put all of our trust and faith in. Without the Bible, we, everything about Jesus would have been so diluted by now, 2,000 years later. Have you ever heard anybody tell a story and then uh, they, they tell it again next year and next year? And five years later, the story is like way different than what actually happened because you were there. So that's what would have happened if God didn't write the vision and make it plain for us. But the Scripture says that we're to be baptized. Now, the enemy of God doesn't want you to be baptized because of all the powerful things that happen when you are baptized. But when you make that decision to to publicly, publicly show that I want to turn away from what I was, I want to wash off the old person, the old man, the old woman that I was, and I want to be that new creature. I want to walk in newness of life. It's then and only then that you can experience a supernatural power that everybody else thinks about, hears about, but maybe they've never experienced firsthand. There's a supernatural leg to being baptized in water. I'm going to lay it out in a moment, but Romans chapter 6 says this. So Jesus says you need to be baptized. And the Apostle Paul goes on to write, and he says, Therefore, this is talking about baptism, we are buried with him in baptism, by baptism into death. Everybody say buried. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Everybody say buried. Raised. When you get baptized, you are buried into the death of Christ. And when you come out of the water, you are raised and should, everybody say should, should walk in newness of life. It doesn't say you will walk in newness of life. It doesn't say you're going to walk in newness of life. It says you should walk in newness of life. And that doesn't mean that that, that now all of a sudden your salvation is contingent upon you. If it was contingent upon you, then Christ's blood would not have had to been shed. But what it is saying is when you go into that water, something's going to happen to you. Something's going to change about your life. And all of a sudden, you are buried into the death that Christ was, and now you will be raised, and you should, you can, and you will be empowered to walk in a newness of life. A new life. You're buried into it with Christ, which means, now, now I don't know about you, But you can't offend anybody at a cemetery. You can talk about me, and and I I know the Scripture well enough. No, I'm not supposed to be offended. And you can can talk about my hair. You can talk about my shoes. You can talk about my smile. Bless God. You can talk about anything you want to talk about me. And and almost I won't get offended. Almost. And I'm going to do everything I can to not be offended. But you go to the graveyard... And you look down at where there's a body and you look at that headstone and you start trying to offend that corpse. You will never be able to offend that corpse because that corpse is dead. Which is to say, when, when you are baptized, when you are buried with Christ, 
something happens to you and you get the unoffendable spirit put on the inside of you and now all of a sudden you no longer live but Christ lives in you. You can't even be offended anymore. They start calling you a holy roller. Glory to God. They say, well, they won't do this or they'll do this or, or whatever. And they start talking about you. And all of a sudden, it's just, it's just on and on. It just can't offend you anymore because you no longer live. You're buried with them in his death. Now, now, now just, just, just noodle on this for a minute. If one man died, if one man sinned, and we are all born in sin, then shouldn't it be lawful for one man to live without sin and all of us to be able to be born again outside of sin? Adam sinned, all of us born after him, which I'm assuming based off the age bracket in the room, you were all born after Adam. He sinned and now we are all marred. We're all tarnished. But one man did not sin, giving us the opportunity to live a life unmarred, untarnished, to be born again into newness of life. So when you're baptized, you are buried with him in his death and raised to walk in newness of life. An outward sign of the inward repentance that's taking place in your heart. An outward sign of the transformation and the transition that you're committing to to God. Because if He was so committed to let His blood be shed for you, certainly we should be so committed to live our life for Him. Certainly we should be so committed. Jesus said it like this. He said, if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'm going to be ashamed of you in front of my Father. Sometimes... Sometimes I'll make sure people know I'm a Christian just because I want to make sure Jesus is not going to be ashamed of me in front of His Father. Anytime you feel the hesitancy for your faith to rise up, I encourage you to fight against that like you're fighting against something that's trying to snuff out your life and your generations to come. So He said, you will be buried with Him in His death and raised to walk in newness of life. Now our Bible, thank God, is filled with types and shadows of metaphors, of stories that foretell what's actually going to happen, things that give an indication of things to come, things that show what's about to happen. Open your Bible if you have it. If not, we're going to put it on the screen to Exodus chapter number 14. Exodus chapter number 14. God's group of people, they were called the Israelites, which by the way, the Israelites or the Israelis are still God's people. I'm going to say that again. I want a great big amen. The Israelis are still God's people. The Bible says if you'll bless Israel, he'll bless you. So the Israelites were in bondage. They were slaves to a country, to a region, to an area, to a Pharaoh, but the place was called Egypt. For 400 years, give or take, they were in bondage, which means if, if they lived to be 80, if that was the average age, five generations knew nothing but slavery. Nothing. Nothing but a whip. Nothing. The median age is actually closer to 40 years. Uh, the median life, life expectancy was actually 40 years. So if it's 40 years, then 10 generations never knew anything except the crack of a whip. That's all they knew. And, and God kept saying and kept dropping promises and saying, I'm going to deliver my people. 
I'm going to raise up a deliverer and I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to raise up somebody and I'm going to deliver my people. I'm going to raise up somebody and I'm going to deliver my people. And everybody just kind of sat there and waited and they said, well, well, when's God's going to show up? Because everything just seems to be getting tougher and, and it used to, we, we used to, we used to be able to get away with things and now we can't even get away with it. What are we going to do? How are we going to get across this thing? Is God going to show up or is God not going to show up? For 10 generations. And we start doubting God when He doesn't answer our prayer by morning. No, we're in a fast food generation. We drive up to Chick-fil-A. We order at the thing. We don't even order at the thing anymore. We order at the person with the iPad before we get to the thing. And if they don't say, it was my pleasure serving you, we're all frustrated. What's wrong with them? We drive up, we give them our credit card because money is too haphazard to carry anymore. So we give them our credit card or our debit card. They take it, they hand us our chicken sandwich and our iced tea. They put it in the truck, they say, my pleasure. And if that exchange didn't happen in 32 seconds, we want to fill out a survey card and try to figure out what's wrong with Chick-fil-A. We live in a fast food generation. We, 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 we walk down the aisle at the grocery store with our basket with 77 items in it. And we're like, I can probably go through the 15 items or less line. If you're not laughing, you do that all the time. You'll start, you'll start reasoning with it. You're like, well, toothpaste and a toothbrush, that's like one thing because it goes, both goes in the bathroom. So that's one thing. We live in a fast food generation. We live in a fast food mentality. We don't realize that there's seasons and times with God. Sometimes you're in a season and, and, and everything's not wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with God. But, but you're trying to figure out, you know, why am I feeling this way? Why am I going through this? Well, you're in a season, okay? It's in that season, it's in that moment that you have the opportunity to remind yourself, to remind the devil and to agree with God and say something like this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But thou art with me. The rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Enemies come and camp about you on all sides. You feel like everybody's against you. The boss doesn't like you. The boss's kids don't like you. The boss's aunts don't like you. Nobody likes you. You thought about putting your resume out there and you decided against putting your resume out there because nobody that read your resume is going to like you because you've got this idea that just nobody, everybody's against me and i got all these enemies. Well, that's the moment when you got to remind yourself that he prepares a table before, for me in the presence of my enemy. You don't have an enemy, you might not get to eat. If David hadn't killed a lion, if David hadn't killed a bear, he wouldn't have been ready for the giant. If David hadn't killed a giant, he'd have never been king. If David hadn't been king, you and me would be reading about a different thing. It would say, Jesus, son of Jethro. I like son of David. It just has a better ring to it. The star of Jethro. No, let's go with star of David. You need an adversary because it is your adversary that propels you into your promised future and great and overwhelming expectation. But we live in this, this, this world, right? Try to slow down a little bit. We live in this world where, where we say it and then we don't get it. Now, for, uh, for 400 years... 
God was saying, I'm going to deliver you. 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 For 400 years, they had an opportunity to doubt the promises of God. They got to a place and finally a deliverer was raised up named Moses. You remember the story. The Pharaoh said, I'm going to kill all the little boys that are born because the spirit of abortion is one of the primary tools of the devil. Because if he can kill babies, he might can kill the next Billy Graham before he gets to be able to be Billy Graham. So they said, we're going to kill all the baby boys so that the, so that the Israelites don't raise up and outnumber us. But uh, 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 there was a baby boy named Moses born, and, and, and the mom just couldn't see having her baby killed. So she made a basket, a little boat, a little ark, if you will, and put him in the river. And the little baby in the basket floated down the river until one of the daughters of the Pharaoh saw the basket as she was in the river, and she said, go get me that basket. And she pulled it over, and there was a baby, and it says, oh, this is a beautiful baby. I'm going to raise this baby. So Moses is raised in the palace. God has a way of taking all things and making them work together for your good. Here's this little baby who's put in a river in a basket. That should be bad news, right? But it positions him to be raised in the palace, and guess what? His mom got to raise him in the palace. Anything the enemy means for evil, God's going to turn it around and use it for good. So Moses is raised, and then uh, he kind of has a temper tantrum and kills a guy and runs out in the wilderness and uh, has an encounter with God, and he's out uh, tending sheep and, and dealing with his goats and whatnot, and, and all of a sudden, his destiny shows up. And, and there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he goes over, he says, i got to see this. And he walks over, and the Lord speaks to him from the bush and says, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. He takes his shoes off, and he begins to converse with God, and God begins to tell him, now is the time, and I've raised you up. I'm about to make good on my promise. Some of you, God's about to make good on a promise. So he says to him, he says, he says, he says I'm about to deliver my people. He said, well, how are you going to deliver your people? He said, I'm going to use you. You're going to go talk to Pharaoh. He says, but, 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 so he says to him, he says, I'm going to show my power. I'm going to show my power to the Pharaoh, and I'm going to use you to do it. He said, take your stick. You see that stick you carry around, your staff? He said, yeah, throw that down. He throws it down, and it turns into a snake. Now, a snake's kind of a weird thing for God to do because it was a snake. It was a serpent in the garden that, that, that convinced Adam and Eve that they should eat of the fruit of the, of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. But, but see, God's never going to leave something in that kind of situation. He's always going to cause what the enemy meant for evil to be turned around for good before it's over. So he says, now pick it back up. He said, it's a snake. He said, just grab it by the tail. He grabs it by the tail, picks it up, turns it back into a stick, shows him another sign or wonder or two. And then he says, now I need you to go back to Pharaoh. I need you to talk to him. I need you to tell him to let my people go. He said, I don't think he's going to do it. 
He said, well, I need you to do it anyway. And he goes, and, and him and Aaron walk in, and you remember old, old Stutter and Stumbling Moses, he, he, he told him, he said, he said I can't, can't, can't talk real good. I need, need, need somebody to go with me. And, and he takes Aaron with him, and he was thinking he was going to let Aaron talk to him. And as soon as he got in Pharaoh's presence, all of a sudden the anointing of his calling came on his life, and Aaron didn't say anything. Some of you might not feel qualified. You're just not qualified. You're, you're the fact that you're not qualified is the thing that God says, I know I can use them because they won't take any credit. You say, well, when will I know when I get there? Whenever all of a sudden what you thought was going to be somebody else's job, you couldn't imagine anybody else doing it but you. Moses walks in. So you're going to let the people go. Pharaoh says, I'm not letting anybody go. He says, you're going to let the people go. You're going to let the people go or I'm going to turn all the water into blood? Water into blood. Let me see that. Okay, boom, turns the water into blood. All the water in Egypt turns to blood just like that. He goes on and there, there's ten plagues total. Frogs, locusts, lice, darkness. The, 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 the livestock died. It was, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. But the number is ten and that, that, that's the key. You see, everything in our Bible is a form and type, a type and shadow of the Christ that is to come. And, and he says, listen, he said, I'm going to send ten things that should work, but they won't. God later sent Moses up a mountain. He said, I'm going to give you ten rules that if you can follow them, they'll work. But you couldn't follow them. Neither could I. Neither could Moses, neither could either any of the Israelites. And the Ten Commandments were not given to try to put you in a place where you're outside of God. The Ten Commandments were given to show you the necessity that you need a Savior to redeem you from the, from the law itself. Ten plagues, ten commandments. The commandments weren't given yet, they'll be given later. Ten plagues to say, look, the law's not going to work, okay? So finally they get nine, nine plagues happen and finally the tenth one comes and, and, and God says this, he says, here's the deal. He said, I want you to go tell all the Israelites to take a spotless lamb and I need you to kill the spotless lamb and I need you to put the blood from the spotless lamb on the doorpost of your house because I'm sending the angel of death tonight. Which is this, to say this. Death comes calling to everybody. The question is, is your debt paid? So the angel of death comes over that night and he's flying over all the houses. And everywhere that he saw blood on the doorpost, the blood of the spotless lamb, he passed over that house. That's where we get the, the term Passover. He passed over the house. And he didn't pass over the house because it was a house full of Israelites. He passed over the house because when he looked down, he saw the blood. And when he saw the blood, he said, the debt has been paid at this house. So when God comes over your house, he's not looking to say, did you lie? Did you commit adultery? Did you covet? Did you uh, honor your father and mother? He's not weighing those things because listen to me, I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but we've all broken some of them and some of us have broken all of them. Matthew, no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. I hope. So when death comes calling to collect, you can't put your hope in the Ten Commandments because you messed them up. 
No offense. You got to have the blood of the lamb which shows death that my debt has already been paid. You can't come collect twice on my house. That would be unlawful. So the tenth plague comes and the angel comes and passes over the Israelites' houses that have the blood on the post. But the Egyptians that did not put the blood on the post, they all lost their firstborn son. And you say, well, that doesn't seem lawful for God to take a firstborn son. Well, it's actually completely lawful because anything you're willing to give, you have the legal right to take. The scripture says Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. God's not bound in this time situation that we're in. Jesus was not plan B. Jesus was the plan of salvation. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the the life. Somebody give God a hand of praise in this house. Now we're ready to pick up with the story. The next day, the Egyptians tell the Israelites, you guys got to go. Your God's too powerful, too strong, too overwhelming, and we don't want him here, and we don't want you here. It was the blood of a spotless lamb that put them in the position to begin their walk of freedom, and it's still the blood of a spotless lamb that put lamb that puts you in a position to begin your walk of freedom. They rose up the next day, and the Bible says that, that the Egyptians gave them all their gold and all their silver and everything that they could carry, and they began to walk out of Egypt with more things that they were dropping gold and dropping silver, and, and literally what happened was is the wealth of the wicked had been stored up, but before it was over, it was given over to the righteous. And just because of the blood of the Lamb, they are set free. For 400 years, they've been in bondage. I don't know how old you were whenever you said yes to Jesus, but when you did, however long that was, it wasn't anything you did that set you free. It was the blood of a spotless Lamb that set you free, that set you on your way. So he says to him, he says, he says, he says, we're going to get out of here. We're going to head out. And they begin to go, and they're carrying all the gold and silver. And Exodus uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse number 7. All of a sudden, Pharaoh, he has a change of heart. He's probably kind of bitter because he lost his son. He lost all his livestock. He lost uh, so many different people. He had all these plagues. He had to let the people go that were building his city. Now he doesn't know how he's going to build his city. All the things that were uh, plaguing him, so to speak, were now coming to fruition, and he didn't like the result. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And the Bible says he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. 600 select 600 chosen, the Navy SEALs of the Egyptian world, 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh the king and he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with a high hand, which is to say this, they were magnifying God on the way out. The Bible says in Lamentations that we should lift our heart with our hand to God. Some things are cultural, but some things are biblical. And lifting your hands to God is just as biblical as the Lord's Prayer. So I encourage you when the enemy is rising up against you and all hell's breaking loose in your life to lift up your holy hand to God and say, My God can deliver me and He will deliver me. 
They exited out of there with hands held high, but the Egyptians pursued after them, and the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army overtook them in camping by the sea beside, uh, you call it, before Bahaha, and then Pharaoh drew nigh. Pharaoh got close to them. And the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, did you take us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore have you dealt, this, dealt, thus, uh, uh, dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? I'm going to backtrack for a minute. It was the blood of the Lamb that delivered them from their captivity. The blood of a spotless Lamb. But while they were on their way, while they were headed to their destiny, all hell was dispatched against them again. The Scripture says 600 chosen chariots and all the rest. Let me tell you what God's trying to say. You deal with things, and I deal with things. There are things, there are, are plans, there are wiles, the Bible calls them. There are traps that are designed for you. There is a certain sin that you like. Ooh, it gets quiet in here when I say that kind of stuff. There's 600 select chosen chariots that are coming after you. If that wasn't bad enough, and all the rest. Which is to say this, there's things that you fight that I'll never fight. Jesus was in the garden. He was praying and he said, let this cup pass from me. He said, but nevertheless, thy will be done. Which is to say this, that cup that Jesus drank, that cross, that was his cup. You couldn't drink it, I couldn't drink it. You have a cup, I have a cup. I can't drink your cup, you can't drink my cup. But you've got to get to the place in God where you say, nevertheless, thy will be done. You drink your cup. You deal with the 600 chariots coming against you. The things, the, the fiery darts that are directed right at you. But then you've got all the other stuff too. You, you've got all the, the, the stuff that just, that just it's, like, it's like booby traps everywhere. That the devil just puts out there to just catch anybody. Billboard. Television. The internet. I'm not mad at billboards, TV, or the internet. I like all of them. But there are traps everywhere. There's traps at your job site. There's, a, there's an inappropriate conversation with a lady, sir. There's an inappropriate conversation with a man, uh, ma'am. There, 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's the idea that you should be gossiping. There's all these, they're just little traps. They're everywhere. And you got to decide when you see them, when the eyes of your understanding have been opened, that I'm just not going to step on that one. you got to decide. you got 600 chariots that are select. They are after you. They know your name. I don't want to get weird, but they know where you live. They know what's important to you. They know what makes you tick. But then there's everything else. The rest of the chariots of Egypt. 
And he says he's dispatched them after the children of Israel. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because my Bible just said the blood of the Lamb just delivered them. The blood of the Lamb just pulled them out of Egypt. The blood of the Lamb just empowered them. The blood of the Lamb just made it where they could go free. The blood of the Lamb just did that. And now you're telling me as soon as they're free, now they've got to fight? It's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm telling you God has dispatched His holy army to wage war against an evil army that's against you and your family. That doesn't mean you won't hear the swords rattling. Hear the flying feet of 600 chariots chasing after you. I dare you in that moment to remind the devil who you serve. I dare you in that moment in time to remind the devil who you serve. What happens when it hits your family? Oh, I can deal with everything else, but not my family. Oh, really? 600 select chariots chasing after you. First thing they come to is the Red Sea, which looks like their demise. It looks like what's going to cause them to die. It looks like what's going to trap them and the enemy is going to be able to take pot shots at them all day long because they're cornered, encompassed about. Sometimes it feels like that in your life and my life that we're encompassed about. The blood of the Lamb empowered them to walk freely away from bondage. And in the moment when Everything looked terrible. They began to cry out to God. But then they started yelling at Moses too. You, you, you see, when something unexpected happens and it's good in your life, we're all good with that. Ooh, I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out. Glory to God. Favor is tracking me down. I guarantee you, it must be because I sowed last week. It must be because God is able. And you've got all these reasons why something good has unexpectedly happened in your life. But as soon as something not good unexpectedly happens in your life, we all want somebody to blame. I should have preached this on Wednesday night. The devil was dispatching chariots to chase down the people of God. And the people of God started blaming the one who had delivered them from 400 years of bondage. When you're under attack, don't look to blame people. Just focus on who your God is. When you hear the chariots coming, when you hear the chariots coming all around you, 
Remind the chariots who you serve. When you hear the chariots coming all around you, remind the chariots who delivered you in the first place. Moses goes to God and he says this. He says, oh God, he's back. And God's up there in heaven like, man, Jesus, that's awesome. The blood of the lamb and then we sent the angel and then the people are coming out and, and everything's going so good. And, and, and man, they're just, everybody's so excited in heaven. Gabriel and Michael are having a Holy Ghost breakdown party up there. Everything's going nuts in heaven. The, the golden streets have turned into a block party. Every mansion had lights popping and flashing and, and, and big bass drums kicking. And it was just a, a Holy Ghost party because for 400 years they've been in bondage. And all the angels are singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And God's up there going, I'm holy, I'm holy, Lord God, I'm mighty. And then Moses goes, oh God, what are we going to do? God says to him, he says, wherefore thou criest out unto me, Moses. Which is to say, why are you yelling at me? What's in your hand? Most oftentimes, God is wanting us to put in practice what He has empowered us with more than He's waiting to move Himself. So Moses stretches forth his staff and he says, Red Sea, get out of the way. And I don't know if I'm Moses, I've been in those prayer moments. Where I'm like, got one eye half open to see if it's going to work. <laughs> Get out of the way, water. The Bible says, <laughs> the water stacked up on both sides of it. And Moses says, hey, complainers. Hey, doubters, y'all can come with me. There's some people tied to you that you just wish they'd get their mouth right, but they're just watching you. And in the right season, in the right time, you're going to quit having to drag them, and then you're going to walk shoulder to shoulder with them. Come on, I said you're going to walk shoulder to shoulder with them. Some of your family's going to serve God. That everybody said, oh, they'll never make it. Oh, the devil is a liar. They are going to serve God. So they're walking through, and I don't know, I, I, I like to think of it like this. I like to think maybe it was like an aquarium. Maybe they could see in the water. So they're seeing all the fish, and they're seeing everything, and, and, and everything's going great. And all the Israelites are walking through the water, and, and everything's just going all wonderful. And, and Pharaoh, now, now I'm not as bold as Pharaoh. Pharaoh looks at the water that, that's raised up that he know God did, that he knows God did. And he decides he's going to try to outrun God and get through the water. Your enemy's not all that bright. The scripture says you resist the devil and he will flee. So the, the Israelites get to the other side and, and the Pharaoh with the 600 select chariots that were coming to get you specifically and all the other ones are coming through that Red Sea as fast as they can. And all of a sudden God looks and goes, wow, he's getting a little too close. And God kicked the wheels off their chariots 
God will disable the enemy that's trying to attack you is what I'm trying to tell you. And he begins, and, and, and they're there, and they're trying to figure out, how are we going to get through here? How are we going to get out of here? And all of a sudden, the water that delivered the Israelites became the demise for their enemy. What am I trying to say? We're going to baptize anybody that would like to be baptized next week. Everything in our Bible is a form and a type of shadow of what's to come. You're delivered not by anything you do, not by anything you say. You're delivered because of the blood of the Lamb. The first thing we saw the Israelites do after they were delivered by the power of the blood of the Lamb was to pass through the water, a form and type of baptism. It was right after it was proven that the ten plagues, the ten powers, the ten commandments, so to speak, could have never done it on their own. So there had to have been the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is what delivered and empowered them to get to the place where they could make the decision because they didn't have to go through the water. The Bible doesn't say God pushed them through the water. It says He offered them the opportunity to go through the water. The blood of the Lamb will deliver you from any oppression that you're in. But there's another step that you can take. It's called baptism by water. And when you're baptized by water. See, what's going to happen is you'll be buried and you'll be raised. But hear this. Everything that goes in the water... Everything that's chasing you down, everything that's coming after you, everything that's pursuing you, everything that's, that's come against the people of God, everything that's come in your life, the 600 select chariots that are designed at you and all the other ones, everything that goes into that water doesn't come out of that water. You go in, you're buried and you're raised. You're buried and you're raised. You're buried and you're raised. But your adversary, the things that have nagged you, the things that have held you back, the things that have slowed you down, the thing that have caused the things that have caused fear to overwhelm your life. How much fear does it take? How much fear? How much fear does it take to say? I'd rather be a slave for another 400 years. We must never give place to fear because fear, fear is the opposite of faith. The chariots come, but God is able. The chariots taunt, but God is able. Next week, if you've never been water baptized, I encourage you with everything I have in me. Take this opportunity. You'll go into the water one way, and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God's only Son, you will come out of the water another way. There's another baptism that I'm going to teach on later. It's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. But if we watch, the Israelites were set free by the blood. 
they were cleansed, and the enemy's back was broken in the water. But there's another baptism that happens later. Symbolically, they pass through the Jordan River. And all of a sudden, they began to fight, but to live in a land flowing with milk and honey. Everybody said, but I'm on the Atkins diet. I don't know about the... I'm trying to do paleo. You don't like a caveman? So I ate just the meat and fruits, nuts, and berries? How many carbs is in honey? Like what kind of milk? Like goat milk? Like almond milk? I could probably do almond milk. Lord, is it almond milk? There's another baptism. It's a baptism of fire, power. When you're water baptized, all of hell that has come against you is drowned in what sets you free. Stand to your feet. I'm done teaching.